You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, I want you to open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3, and I want to begin by just drawing your attention uh, to some thoughts and, and as I start the message today, real quickly. So pay attention. January 1st was the first day of the year. Uh, December 31st is the last day of the year. What's unusual about 2023, but I think uh, there may be something to it. I, I, and again, not, not to be spooky or anything, just, I, I just love the thought and how God works through many different ways. The first day of the year was, was a Sunday. The, the last day of the year is a Sunday. So there was a, a gathering of believers all across this nation on day one of the year. And on the 31st day of the year, the last day of the year, we'll, we'll gather again, be able to look back over this year. 30 years of ministry concluded for me last year in June. And after 30 years of ministry, there was a sense of, uh, and some of it had to do with just the way that the church had that service. I mean, we acknowledged what God had done, and we even honored some people who were a part of those 30 years. We reflected on those who have passed on uh, to heaven in those 30 years. It was a very powerful time together. But I must admit, after, I had to take a moment And just reflect and say, hey, where am I at as a leader? Where am I at as a pastor? How do I feel about 30 years? And and there was something in about July or August that seemed to say to me, Eric, there's more. Uh, There's more for not only you to do, there's more for gospel light to do. There's something more that I have uh, before I return. And, And God placed on my heart the idea of, well, that would mean then let's Let's go to the next level. Let's take these 30 years and let's thank God for them, but there's more. There's a next level. I called Ken Reed, our graphic design guy, who's also my nephew. He's been working here about 14 years. And I said, Ken, I said, could you work up a graphic for, for this idea of going to the next level? Ken sent me back that in about four days. Man, I loved it. I just, I, it just began to even burn more into my heart. After that, I went before the elders and I had planned a presentation to see what their thoughts would be on that as a theme. And then I began to put together a year, with some help, a year of, uh, of ideas and planning as to what it might look like to go to the next level over a period of, of, of 12 months. And so we began on January 1 with this, the, the letter G as a core value, and that G also happens to be the first letter in the word God, in the name God, amen? So we said this, that God should be number one in our lives, And the next level statement was that we would seek the presence of God at the next level. And and I must say that there was something special that began to happen in my heart, even on that first Sunday. And throughout the month of January, January the 3rd though, two days after that first Sunday, I'm watching a football game like some of you did, and if you didn't watch it, you heard about a tackle. A tackle that came in, uh, I think, really, honestly, as far as I recall, the first half of the game, I, I, maybe I'm wrong, maybe the third quarter, where a young man by the name of DeMar Hamlin was, was hit with a helmet in the chest. He stood up, and then everyone watched him fall to the ground harshly, and he went into cardiac arrest. A first responder began to give him CPR on the field, and it seemed as if the nation stopped. If you weren't watching the game, you would hear about it, because it was on every channel. It was on the news. It was on social media. I mean, it literally covered 350 million people in our nation. I mean, it spread like wildfire. I want to ask you to raise your hand. I'm convinced, I'm just convinced everybody at least knows something about that. And I remember watching. It was kind of surreal because you you continue to hear this, this thought of, hey, we need to pray. We need to pray. The next day on ESPN, one of the commentators broke down and said, you know, I don't know if this is appropriate or not, but I really don't care. I'm just, I want to pray right now. He bowed his head, prayed in Jesus' name for DeMar Hamlin. It seemed as if something was happening that had never happened before or not had not happened in a long time. Something unique began to happen. Um, throughout the month of January, God was doing works here. I, I remember A couple of weeks ago, we celebrated the decision of three young men on our basketball team at the college that accepted Christ as their Savior, and we had a glorious, victorious uh, baptism service as we reflected on the work that God was doing in in those students. 
There were other instances, uh, just small things, nothing manufactured, just things that were happening. And then on February the 8th, much like what happened with Damar Hamblin, news began to spread about a move of God on a campus. It began with a very regular chapel service, like we have here at Champion, like most Christian colleges have or should have. And it was just a chapel service with a speaker, with a little worship band, like we, I mean, just nothing special, nothing announced, just a chapel service that didn't end and still hasn't ended multiple days later. Through that has began other moves of God throughout the nation in dozens of places now. Not manufactured, because you can't manufacture the presence of God. I'm bringing this up only, well, one, to acknowledge it. I I think folks would want to maybe know, hey, pastor, have you heard? It was beautiful today. One of our members said, hey, I I don't know if you've heard this yet, (laughs) but have you heard? And of course, yes, I have, and and I've been following it and and praying, and not just following it, but, but obviously looking Every, I'll tell you what I've been doing. Every morning I get out of my truck when I drive to the campus, and I know it's a little old school, but, man, that's, sorry. That's what you get with a 57-year-old senior pastor. I get out of my car, and I slam the door, and I think about what God's doing in our nation, and here's what I sing to my office. Lord, send a revival. Lord, send a revival. Lord, send a revival. Let it begin with me. Lord, send a revival. I know there's newer songs, and you wouldn't sing that one. You'd sing another one. But that's just one that I've always known and sung. I don't know what God wants to do in, in this service. I, don't, I know everybody's got to, many of us go to work tomorrow. We'll have lunch planned this afternoon. There are plans that we have, and that's just life. But don't miss God's plan. And, and I don't want to miss God's plan. And I'm excited to see what God is going to do as we continue to seek his presence at the next level. That brings us to February. And the emphasis in February has been that little letter O. And what we've been saying is that the opportunity to grow is always before us. And the next level statement has been growing with God's vision is our goal. Let's find out what does God want? What does God see? Let's, let's have the eyes of God to build our life as we sung a moment ago in the foundation of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, we can grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we began talking about that two weeks ago. And last week, we had our special speaker emphasize kind of next-level marriages. And this week, back to the text as we look again at growing in grace and knowledge. Two weeks ago, if you were here, or if you were not here, I want to remind you what we already discussed. We discussed this in Second Peter chapter number 1, that God has provided for us some things. God has equipped us with some things. Notice it says here in verse 1 that Simon Peter, who was a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, he had obtained, and he acknowledges many have obtained this faith. A faith that Jason spoke about a moment ago. He he spoke about the time when he received this faith by grace through faith, this salvation. And he so eloquently shared that this is a gift that is unlike any other gift. To those who have received that gift, and let me stop here and say this, the gospel has been preached this morning. The gospel has been preached in testimony. If you're here today and and you would say, man, listen, I've never repented of my sins and turned by faith to Jesus Christ. I, I don't know that I've had what he's talking about this morning. I encourage you today, may this be the day of salvation for you. And don't wait till the end of the service. We would would gladly interrupt any service for someone that wanted to come down and trust Christ or even where you're seating right now. Take a moment and repent of your sins. Trust Christ as your Savior. However that looks, we're here to talk, to listen, to share the gospel. To those of you who have, he says that that there's grace and peace that's multiplied to us in the knowledge of God. Verse 3, he says that as a result of having obtained this faith, this salvation, he said, I've, I've given you a divine power. I, I, this, is, this is what I've equipped you with. It, it's, you can only get this from God and by being saved, which is a free gift. When you obtain this divine power that pertains to everything in life and all godliness, he says, as a result, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to 
also have this great and precious promise in verse 4. So that through you, uh, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, you will be able to escape uh, the corruption that is in the world through sinful desire. So God says, I've equipped you with power and I've equipped you with the promises of God. But then Peter says, now I want to talk about your part, church. Follower of Christ, equipped with power, equipped with promises. Growth takes cooperation. Salvation comes first. Growth comes next. So he says, for this very reason, I want you to make every effort. Make every effort to supplement your faith with seven things. Seven supplements. First of all, he says virtue. Secondly, he says knowledge. Thirdly, self-control. Fourthly, steadfastness. Number five, godliness. Six, brotherly affection. Seven, love. And then he calls them in verse number eight, qualities. He says these are qualities. They're extremely incredible. They're qualities that are yours, and he wants them to be increasing in your life. They will keep you from being ineffective. A lot of ineffective uh, potentially ineffective Christians, people that want to be productive, and, and they're not productive, and, and they desire to be more effective for the cause of Christ, which is a wonderful thing. Well, these seven things will cause you from being ineffective. They'll cause you from ever becoming unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. But yet he also addresses those who lack these qualities. These folks are nearsighted. They, they can become blind. They can even, believe it or not, forget that they were cleansed from their former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. He says it again. Make every effort. Be diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior. This morning, I want to talk to you for a few moments on this subject. Take your supplements. You know, it's interesting. Many people use supplements to enhance growth. And I, I've done this before. I've worked out before, right? And taken certain supplements to accomplish a certain goal. Bodybuilders and weightlifters will sometimes use supplements. Supplements uh, called creatine. Supplements that are protein supplements. In fact, uh, what, what roast beef, what, what, what Arby's means to roast beef and what Chick-fil-A means to chicken, GNC means to supplements. All over the nation, you can walk into a store and see literally Thousands upon tens of thousands of companies who have provided supplements. An entire chain of business that simply meets the needs of people who are interested in using supplements. Some athletes use illegal supplements. As a result of that, they're disqualified from their athletic events or they potentially pose themselves to be... uh, have injected themselves with steroids or other stimulants that make the playing field unfair. But there are legal and helpful and healthy supplements. So what is a supplement? Definition in your notes and on the screen. It's something that's added to something else. In order to complete or enhance it. Don't definitions make words come alive? Don't they? I mean, I've said the word supplement probably a dozen times already. But when you add, it is something else added in order to complete or enhance something. And in the scripture passage that we started to unpack a couple of weeks ago, we briefly spoke, very briefly, I just touched on seven qualities to supplement your faith in order to grow to the next level. We learned that God is interested, and God is interested, and God is committed to our growth, not just our spiritual growth. God is interested, and God is committed to growth in every area of our lives. Build your life, God says. I want to build your life upon this foundation of love. And then there is these things that he provides for us. Divine power and promises in order that we might supplement our faith. Peter then gives us our part to do in this growth process. These seven little qualities. We said also that from little things, big things grow. And and it's amazing how I I was thinking as Jason was speaking about I've I've never done any great marvelous thing in the eyes of man. And and no doubt, that's not the goal and that's not what happens. But as he said that, I thought, God, thank you that right now as Jason humbly shares his testimony, he's standing in front of a large congregation and as a potential elder. Because from little things, from little country boys in the middle of nowhere, mama sweeping the floor and teaching a little boy, from little things, big things grow.
I want to encourage you today with these seven supplements. I want to encourage you to know that God wants us to have these qualities, but not just have them. He wants them to be increasing in our lives so that we can go to the next level in our growth. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing. When I see that word increasing, I see the words next level. Next level. Growing in grace, pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I find it interesting that Peter also says, and I hope that you will too if you pay attention, in verse 12, I find it interesting that Peter says, therefore, I intend always to remind you about these qualities. I intend to remind you about this often. I mean, if you've obtained this faith, then you need to know about these supplements. By the way, if you let your physical health go for a long time, sometimes there's damage that's done that just, it's hard to come back from it. So Peter says, I want to keep these before you. I want to make sure that you know these things are important. I intend to remind you of these things. And then he even said, after, uh, I'm going to remind you about these things after you're dead. After I'm dead, I'm sorry. Not you're dead, I'm dead. Peter says in verse 15 that I will make every effort so that after my departure, this is intense. Somebody is speaking about these things are so important that when I'm dead, I still want these things to be preached. And I want you to be reminded of these things. And so today, 2,000 years after Peter penned these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sure enough, here I am. Peter, I'm helping you out. You said after you departed, you wanted your people, the people of God to be reminded of these things. So here we are once again drawing attention to something that Peter said. Why was this so important to Peter? Why would Peter go to such great lengths to remind Christians of the importance of these seven little qualities? Why would he stress them and, and even talk about after he's dead, he wants these qualities to be in people? Well, Peter knew about failure. He knew about it. And he didn't want others to fall. In fact, he says in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 10, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Peter knew what failing was like. By the way, all of us in this building, we know what failing is like. We know what falling is like. We know what falling short, not only of the glory of God when it comes to recognizing our sinful condition before God with salvation, but we also as believers, we fail sometimes. We know what that's like, but he says if you'll have these seven qualities, if you remember them, if you pay attention to these things, you will never fall. In 19, I believe it was 95, how many of you remember a folk singer in America by the name of John Denver? Going way back. Anybody remember John? Country roads, take me home. All right. Anybody remember how he died? Plane crash. He was a pilot. He flew a little, I remember this, on the news, just like it was yesterday. I, I, I was interested, and, and by the way, when people die in a plane crash or in a car wreck, we remember these things, and we sometimes become more interested in how it happened. John Denver crashed into, in California, lived in Monterey, crashed right off the beach in Monterey after getting in an ultralight plane that he owned. It was an experimental plane. He got up in the air, and at the crash site, after investigating the crash, they found that in this particular plane, the, the gas tanks were behind the pilot, and there was a wrench that you would use in order to switch an empty tank to the second tank, which, which, which would be full. And it seemed as if when he crashed, he was trying to switch those tanks and crashed. But what they found at the crash site is it would not have made any difference if he switched the tank because Denver forgot to put gas in the second tank. He overlooked it. And as a result of overlooking that, he fell to his demise. I wonder today if we're overlooking these seven little qualities. 
I wonder today if we're living our Christian lives at potentially in a stagnant place. I mean, we clock in on Sunday mornings at either 9 o'clock and we clock out at 10.15. Or maybe you clocked in today at 10.45 and you'll clock out at 12.15 and, and then wait till next Sunday or till Lighthouse comes if you go to one. And then you'll clock in and clock out. And we kind of live our Christian lives. We compartmentalize God in our lives. And, and yet God is saying to us today, look, if you'll take these seven little qualities that apply to everything in life and everything regarding godliness... No wonder Peter emphasized these things as more important. Don't overlook them. Peter tells us it's going to take work. It's not just going to happen. We have to make every effort to supplement our faith. The Christian life begins with birth, being born again. But then we supplement our faith. That is spiritual growth. So let me give you seven ways. And I'm going to give them to you pretty quickly this morning. Let me acknowledge this, church, before I get started. I know there's kind of a lot here, and I'm going to move through it fast. So I've provided for you a little study guide. And this is my way of saying, would you potentially take one of these maybe over the next seven weeks and answer these questions and potentially just address these things in your life, whether you're a teenager or even a young boy right there sitting next to daddy and, or maybe a dad or a grandpa or a Christian of 50 years, would you, would you potentially begin to look And ask yourself the question, am I taking this supplement? First of all, the supplement of virtue. Are you taking that supplement? I have a little phrase that I want to put beside each one of these supplements and then a warning underneath them. First of all, virtue, having courage. And there's a lot of ways to define virtue. But this morning, I'd like to define it as this, as we build this message. Having courage to decide to do what is right. And what makes this difficult is our passions, and here's my warning, our passions can hinder us from having the courage to decide to do what's right. Virtue. Virtue is moral goodness. Virtue is excellence, moral strength. Virtue is courage. It's a a term of moral heroism or a term of moral courage or a, a term of moral excellence. To simplify it, what Peter is saying here is that we supplement our faith with the desire to do what is right. That's what virtue is. It's a commitment. It's a commitment to have courage to stand for what is right. It's making a decision to practice moral courage. It's having resolve Because that's often where it begins. Purposing in your heart beforehand how you're going to handle passions and temptations that come your way. Daniel did this. As he faced the temptation of of, of bending and bowing before the king in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. One of my favorite verses in the Bible says that Daniel resolved. He resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food, or defile himself with the king's wine. He had a resolution that he made with himself. And if your faith this morning is to be strengthened, if you're going to add to your faith the supplement of virtue, you'll need to keep the desire and the passion for doing what's right burning fervently in your heart. I can tell you that. Remember this, you can only do that by relying on God's divine power and recalling God's great promises. Because my Bible tells me, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. My Bible tells me that I have power in me, that I, I, can, I can stand against the sin that so easily besets me. I've got that power within me. It's not my own power. Hey, if I do it my own power, my flesh is weak. I'll fail, I'll fall, I'll give in. But if I rely on God's power and God's promises, that I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And I can, I can run this race with patience. And I can, I, can, I can reach heaven's shore with an eternal entrance, a rich eternal entrance. We'll get to that in a minute. Virtue. Has anyone ever heard of the little animal called an ermine? I'll show you a picture of an ermine. That's an ermine. Keep it on that one. Just, I like that one the best. That's a cute one, isn't it? Anybody ever seen an ermine? You know what they're called too? Weasels. Yeah, the crazy thing about weasels is I'm wondering if weasels have more courage than some Christians. You'll know what I mean by the end of this illustration. It's just 30 seconds long here. So we, uh, in our mind, 
They, they do everything they can to protect that white fur. That's all they care about. That's, that's their number one goal. Obviously, they want to eat, but even in eating, their, their number one desire is to protect their fur. So they have a hole that they live in. They dig a hole. They live in that hole. They hunt during the night. So hunters know that that fur is valuable. So when they hunt the ermine, the ermine's out of his hole in the evening, they put black pitch around that hole knowing that the ermine would rather die than to be dirty. So when the hunters send their dogs out to hunt the ermine and the ermine runs back to its hole and sees that black pitch, that ermine would rather turn and fight the vicious dogs than go into that hole and ruin its fur. That ermine will die a death fighting those dogs before it would damage and and discolor and disdain its fur. I wonder today if we have that kind of courage to stand for what's right, virtue. But it's not just the desire to do what's right. We've got to add to that knowledge. Knowledge is gaining correct insight, insight to know what is right. And the warning here is that pride can stop us oftentimes from admitting our ignorance. See, having desire to do what's right is essential to supplementing our faith, but desire alone is not enough. We also need a knowledge of what is right. You know, we live in a day when, as it says in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the day we live in, isn't it? It really is. Many think they know what is right. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says this about that person, that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Proverbs 21, 2 says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But we need to know what is right in the eyes of God. That's what's right. And so 2 Chronicles 14, 2 tells us of Asa, who did what was good and right in the eyes of his God. Everyone doesn't have the correct concept of right and wrong. Many gain knowledge from, especially today, I'm amazed at how many get their knowledge from social media. Did you see on social media? Like it's a fact. They gain their knowledge from the movies. They gain their knowledge from the news. They gain their knowledge from conversations in public forums. And if we're going to know what is right, we need to get our knowledge from God's Word. The writer of Hebrews tells us that it is through skillful study of the Word of God that we are equipped. Hebrews 5.14 says, Those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is how we gain knowledge. This is how we know right from wrong, good from evil. It is training ourselves to discern what's right and wrong through the lens of the Word of God. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. That's what is right. For reproof, that's what is not right. For correction, that's how to get right. And to be trained in righteousness, that's how to stay right. And you, do, you learn that from reading and studying God's Word. We need to supplement our faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. Self-control is practicing self-discipline to choose what is right. Because the pleasures of life can easily cause us to compromise. Don't worry about it. I won't say, can I get an amen? I'll provide one for all of us. Amen! The pleasures of life can easily cause us to compromise, so we need the supplement of self-control. Because sometimes there's a huge gap between what we know, our knowledge, and what we do, our actions. And self-control seems to bridge that gap very well. Self-control is also called temperance in several translations. Temperance means, and I love this, are you ready for this? Temperance means to hold oneself together. Wow. Self-control, temperance, self-discipline to follow through with obedience. 
Self-control in the Greek New Testament world was a word that was often referred to. And we talked about this in my first, uh, in January, as we introduced Philippians 3.14. We thought, we talked about how often Paul talked about athleticism and how athletes oftentimes will choose not to do something in order to gain strength. And, or they'll choose to do something in order to gain strength. We read that the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24, do you not know that in a race the runners run, but one receives the prize, so run that you might obtain. Every athlete exercises self-control, here it is church, in all things. And the reason they do it is to obtain a perishable crown. We do it to obtain an imperishable crown. We exhibit the self-control. We add self-control because there's more to this life than just an athletic crown. There's more to this life than just achieving things in this life. There is a heaven to gain. There's things that God has prepared for us. And you and I have a reason to exhibit self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Denying the flesh and yielding to the Spirit. And yet so often we believed the lies of Satan where self-control is concerned. How often do I hear in my ministry of pastoring and counseling how often do I hear as we address issues where people are giving into their flesh words like, well, I just can't help myself. Everyone else is doing it. Lately, I've been hearing this one. God just wants me happy. God's far more concerned with your holiness than he is your happiness. God is holy. And God has a desire for us today to be truly happy and have joy, unspeakable and full of glory. And so when God says no to something, it's for our good and for his glory. God knows what's going to make us happy. God knows that. We must trust him and be obedient to his word. And then add to self-control the supplement of steadfastness. In many translations, we see the word patience, but steadfastness here in the ESV, learning to be calm so we can keep doing right. And the warning is this, that the pressures of life can easily lead to impatience. Amen? Self-control has to do with the pleasures of life, and steadfastness has to do with the pressures of life. When challenged and opposed and We often are. We need endurance, so we will keep doing what's right. Steadfastness is the ability to endure when circumstances are difficult. And by the way, aren't they difficult? Oftentimes, very difficult. And to remain steadfast is difficult because pressures can crack us up. Pressures can get us to lose our temper. Pressures can get us uh, to give in and get irritated about people, projects, in our careers, I can tell you after 30, almost 31 years of ministry here in June, I can tell you after 34 years of marriage to my wife, there's been times, and don't shoot me, don't shoot me for being honest, when it would have been easier to walk away. You know, I don't need this. I don't deserve this. For whatever reason. And I can tell you, it's by the grace of God I didn't. And even thinking that was a sin, but I can assure you, it was only through, even though I was probably taking low doses at the time, (laughs) and not enough. But by the grace of God, and through growing in knowledge of God, and by taking the supplement of patience and steadfastness when my wife was sick, and and when our church was struggling, and, 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 and just remaining steadfast by the grace of God because of divine power and great promises that I've been equipped with, I can make every effort to do this. Steadfastness and patience are about knowing God gives you just enough bread for the day. I love Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 25. One of my favorite little phrases in all the Bible, as your days, so will your strength be. 
So regarding your marriage, don't quit. As your days, so will your strength be. Regarding your career, your business, don't go quit. As your days, so will your strength be. Regarding your commitment to church, as your days, so will your strength be. Regarding the health issue that's plaguing you and concerning you and potentially worrying you, don't give up as your days. Listen, we don't know about tomorrow, but we know the one who holds tomorrow. We know he's in control. We don't know what's in store, but we know God knows what's in store. So just stay steadfast. Be patient. And then add to that godliness. Godliness, number five. This is choosing godly character so we can be right. And the warning here, and we'll see it later in a text as we read some ancillary verses, possessions can cause us to take our eyes off God. Materialism is destroying, in many places, our Christianity. Just wanting more and wanting things. Godliness is this. It's simply God-likeness, which is a desire to be conformed to the character of God. Going back to our theme in January, the presence of God, here's what godliness is. This is probably the most important one for me to get across. It is a practical awareness of God in all areas of our life. Practical. This is not like spooky. This is not like, do you have to be really smart? Do you have to know the Bible a a lot? Do I have to be able to preach? Do I have to be an elder? No, no. No, it's really, anybody can do this. Anybody can take this supplement. It works for every child of God. It's just a practical awareness of God in every area of your life. Joseph, fascinating study this week or last week. Joseph, in every, every area of his life, every time Joseph is, uh, speaks in the Bible, he mentions God. It's fascinating. I'll give you a few. Genesis chapter 39, the instance of Joseph and Potiphar's wife when he was tempted to sleep with his, with his wife, with Potiphar's wife. Verse 7, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, Because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He's put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? A practical awareness of God in every area of life. Genesis 40, verse 8, when Joseph interprets the two prisoners' dreams, they said to him, we have, we've had dreams. There's no one to interpret. Joseph says, do not interpretations belong to God? Genesis 41, 6, when Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, Joseph answered and said, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. In Genesis 41, verse 51 and 52, when two sons were born to Joseph, here's what he said. I'll call the first one Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my hardships. I'll call the second one Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful. In Genesis 45, verse 5, when Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers who had uh, almost killed him and left him for dead all those years, he says this to them, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. And he reveals himself to them by saying, for God sent me before you to preserve life. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Genesis 50, verse 19, even in death, Joseph says, do not fear, for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. What God gave Joseph strength to say no to temptation, that was because of godliness. How God gave Jacob, or rather, Joseph strength to forgive his brothers, that was godliness. That was considering God in every aspect of his life. Bring God into every aspect of your life. That, in essence, is godliness. Let me make it simple for you. Let me make it real. So we watched the Super Bowl last week, right? Maybe you didn't, but most did. And we watched a game, a fascinating game, 38 to 35. Went down to the wire. I mean, right down to the last few seconds. Can I tell you my favorite part about this year's Super Bowl? And I'd like to just inject this into everything that's happening in our nation. It's not just a college campus. It's things like DeMar Hamlin. It's things like an ESPN 
person praying in Jesus. It's things like two quarterbacks both saying it's not about the game. Check out the two quarterbacks real quick. Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes before the Super Bowl. I got no other questions. I'm not going to judge anything else. I'm not looking at anything because God looks on the heart. And what I heard those two quarterbacks say is something that I think was very refreshing. It was refreshing. As they, at the greatest stage in football history, they acknowledged that God was the center of their lives. It's as if they were saying, whoever wins the Super Bowl, oh, that's gain. Oh, I get this trophy. But that's not the best gain. The world says gain is prosperity. But God says gain is godliness. In 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For the apostle Paul, what he thought was gain changed. It all changed for the apostle Paul. He said, though I myself have reason, verse Uh, four of chapter three in Philippians. I have confidence in the flesh. I have reason to be confident. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, of the law as a Pharisee, zeal, persecuted the church, righteousness under the law, blameless. But that's what I used to think was gain. But now that I've added godliness, what gain I had, now I count as loss for Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Church, what do you count as gain? Because when you add godliness as a supplement in your life, your gain perspective changes like the Apostle Paul's. We all need a dose of this supplement of godliness to get rid of materialism in our lives. And then add to that brotherly affection. This is taking time for people so we can care right. And the warning is this, that blessing others is hard to do. It is, isn't it sometimes? It is. I know it is, because I have some people that say, what service does she go to? 1045, good, I'll go to the 9 o'clock. Trust me. I I pastor a church of people sometimes who have a hard time loving everybody in their own congregation. I mean, this is not easy to do. Brotherly affection. It's an attitude of the heart. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And if it were easy, everybody would be doing it. But it's difficult. I see it in the church as a real problem. A real problem. People can become irritating. People can become draining. People can affect your spirit. And it's hard to be let down by someone you care about. I've often had people tell me that there's no hurt like when you're hurt by someone that you love so much. And we can easily become bitter over people treatment. And as a result of that, we end up grieving the Holy Spirit of God. I thought you were a Christian and you treated me like that. We forget what Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 through 32 says, and do not grieve the Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, let all wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, 
Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How do you recover from people hurting you? How do you recover? Take the supplement of brotherly kindness. And then love. The last supplement. Love. Being compassionate toward everyone so we can love right. And the warning here is that people can be hard to reach. This past week, I I had the privilege of taking someone who I've been working on for about five years. Finally, he went to lunch with me. And no, he didn't get saved, but I was able to take the next step in planting a gospel seed in his heart, and we had a great conversation. He said he wanted to meet with me again. Five years. Five years. Reminds me of Alan Robinette, our college librarian, who took 13 weeks of meeting with him, one hour every Saturday. How many times did I just want to throw something at this guy who kept telling me, you know, now I'm not ready, now I'm not ready, now I'm not ready, now I'm not ready. I mean, it's frustrating sometimes when it comes to reaching people that just won't get it. Love here is the type of love that God gave when he gave his son for the poor needy of this world. By the way, I'm one of those poor and needy. Amen? You're one of those poor and needy. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the supplement of love in action. He's talking about here. Add this supplement. It's love with hands and feet. It's love with action. It's compassion. Some translations use the word charity. It's the type of love that bonds people together. Colossians 3.14 says, Above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's a selfless love for others, and this can be hard to do. But we need to put on love and compassion and be a blessing to others because 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says, Above all, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Above everything else, church, above all, love one another. Love one another. Hey, 9 o'clock, come back to 1045. It's going to be okay. (laughs) Hey, 1045, visit that 9 o'clock enemy. Love. Love. I love the words of the song, Mighty to Save. Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Because everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. Have you taken your supplements? It'll help you grow to the next level. Can I give you three results in closing of taking God's supplements? You'll find all of these results in one passage. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, 2 Peter 1, 8, they keep you from being ineffective and, or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, do you see it here? It says, here's one of the, here's one of the benefits. You will be flourishing. You'll be flourishing. He says in the very first part of that verse, if these qualities are in you and they're increasing... They're increasing. Can I tell you what happens when one of these qualities is increasing in your life? It begins to show. You begin to overflow. Isn't that the goal? I want my, I want my, my cup to overflow. I mean, into the saucer and then into you. Look, I want my cup of, these, of, of my life, of my witness for God. First of all, honey, as I learned last week, it's to help you become the woman that God's made you to be. And so it's important for me to lead my family with these supplements and and with divine power and the great and precious promises fueling the the strength that it takes to do these to benefit you, sweetheart. And then I've got five kids that need it. They need me. They need me to be patient. They need me to be understanding. They need me to be loving. They need me to be a good example. Then I've got six grandchildren and almost seven. And they need it. They need to see this in me. And then I've got a church congregation that needs to know that when the lead pastor is preaching or when another pastor, next week Scott Mercer, is preaching and finishing off this series, by the way, in the same text. He's excited. You say, there's more? Mm-hmm. 
more. When we're preaching, we're visible testimonies of what God is doing in our lives. We are, these qualities are increasing. We're flourishing. Secondly, notice it says here, you will be fulfilling. Notice in the text again it says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective. You'll be fulfilling. You won't live a non-productive life, a non-effective Christian life. Look, there's no reason that every Christian in this room should not be an effective witness where you work. Everyone should be. I don't care if you're a plumber, an electrician, you can be. I'm not getting on you. I'm not scolding you. I'm, I don't, I'm just simply saying you can be. You say, it's hard out there. This world is tough. I get it. That's the best time in the world for God to said revival. Look what God's doing in perilous times. We're seeing a move of God on college campuses and churches across this nation. We're seeing God do a great work. And even in some businesses that I'm seeing and hearing of God working. Why? Because God's people are productive and effective when they're filled with these supplements. You'll never have to say, well, I tried Jesus and it didn't work for me. It wasn't that Jesus didn't work. It was that you didn't work. Make every effort. And then finally it says, you will be fruitful. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, 4, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I love that text. Here we see again that you'll be like the branch and the vine, receiving nourishment from divine power, from great and precious promises. And when we receive that nourishment, what's amazing is, what does fruit do? Fruit refreshes. Anybody ever had fruit like a fruit smoothie or a fruit drink? And isn't it refreshing? Hey, go to La Hacienda and order the strawberry punch. It'll change your life. It's my favorite drink in town. Strawberry, made of real strawberries. Fruit. You know what God's people should be? Refreshing. We should be refreshing everywhere we go. When I walk into a restaurant, I want to be refreshing. When I deal with a waiter, I want to be refreshing. When I go through the, the drive through I want to be refreshing. When I have a conversation with you, I want you to say, hey, he's just a refreshing guy. I feel a little better after talking to Oka Pacey. I just make you feel like it's, you know, it's going it's to work out. Amen. You'll be fruitful. This is God's desire for us. It's the idea that the life of Christ is flowing into you and then overflowing from you. That's what this teaches. But then he goes on to say, if you fail to take these supplements, here are the consequences. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind. If I take my glasses off this morning, and I will, whoa, whoa, I can assure you, if I don't wear these glasses the rest of the day, eventually I will fall. Eventually I'll fall. I'm, I'm nearly blind without them. And that's where a lot of Christians are today that don't practice these qualities. They're blind. Eventually they're going to fall. And he says here, you, you'll act as if you've forgotten that you were even saved and cleansed from your former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. Another statement dealing with make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. In other words, take your supplements so you can see where you've come from. Don't, don't forget you were cleansed. Hey, you got victory over that. You were cleansed from that. Don't forget. And that you can see where you're going. Confirm your calling and election. It's sure. And then finally, Peter concludes by telling us that going to the next level also has an eternal next level result. Look at the final verse. Have I given you enough scripture this morning? One more. God's word is powerful, isn't it? 2 Peter 1.11. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom. Would you pay close attention to me 
to those words, richly provided an entrance. There was a man in 1965. By the way, let me say this about that real quick before I give you this illustration. The Greek used the term, the Greeks used the term entrance. Back, let's talk about athletes just as in closing here. They, dis, they used it, I read in a commentary, to describe an Olympic athlete who won in the Olympics and then came home. Interesting, isn't it? Have you ever seen an Olympic athlete win and then return home? Have you ever seen somebody win the championship and they do a ticker tape parade when they get back? Songs were sung, cheers would go up. They received an abundant entrance. Here's my closing illustration. In 1965, there was a man who decided to cross the Atlantic Ocean. You say, well, by 1965, preacher, many people decided to cross the Atlantic Ocean and succeeded. True, but not like this one. His name was Robert Manry. Robert Manry sailed the Atlantic Ocean in a 13-foot-long boat. There are surfboards more than 13 feet. While I give the rest of the illustration, I want you to play the video silently and just watch the video as I tell you a little bit about Robert. Robert Manry uh, spent 78 days on the ocean in a 13-foot boat. Can you play that real quick? It was called Tinkerbell. Doesn't sound like a very strong boat to me. Titanic. Tinkerbell. (laughs) Robert Manry, there he is, 13-foot boat, heading across the Atlantic Ocean. He said, man, for 78 days. Many times he said, I went overboard and had to get back in. Many times he said, I was so tired, I would want to fall asleep, but I couldn't without tying myself inside the boat so I wouldn't fall out. The rudder to the boat broke on several occasions. He said, as I was nearing the shore, all I could think about was a hotel, a bath, and sleep. It's almost over until I saw 300 boats as I neared the shore. What are those boats there for? As they got closer, I saw over 12, they said they counted 12,000 plus people on the shore waiting for Robert Manry, this little unknown person who sailed the Atlantic Ocean for 78 days. His wife greets him as he comes to shore. Dignitaries help him out of the boat. They greet him. They shake his hand. The accolades are given to him. He gets that hunk from his wife. He could not believe what turned into just give me a hotel room. Wow. So much more than a trip. Church, this is important. This rich entrance, you will have no regrets taking a stand for Jesus. You will have no regrets implementing these virtue, the, uh, these, these qualities in your life, the quality of virtue, the desire to do what's right, knowledge, gaining insight into God's Word, self-control, practicing self-discipline to choose what's right, steadfastness, enduring difficulty to keep doing right, godliness, Considering God in every aspect of your life, brotherly kindness, caring for people, and love, being compassionate to all. Church, can I, can I say this in closing? That the gains of heaven will far more compensate for the losses on earth. Let's choose to take our supplements so that we can grow with God's vision to the next level. And I believe this morning, if we'll all understand that this only happens when we apply the divine power and the great and precious promises. This is exciting. Would you please take this, these, eight, these seven qualities and begin to ask yourself those questions this week. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, may today be the day that you step out by faith and say, I want this. I want salvation by grace through faith that Jason talked about. I want this like precious faith. I want to obtain this so I can start taking these supplements. I want to add to my faith. If you're a Christian this morning, I don't know how this is going to look in your life over the next few days and weeks, but... I'm really believing that if Peter thought it was intense enough to say, even after I'm dead, I want Capaci to remind you of it 2,000 years later. If he doesn't, I'm coming after him when he gets to heaven. 
Well, Peter ain't going to be getting after me because I'm going to be able to say, I did it. I preached it. Oh, listen. If it's that important, if these qualities are to be in you so that you will not fall, would you please this morning consider going to the next level, growing with God's vision for your life? Let's all bow for prayer, shall we? Father, I thank you so much for what you're doing in our church, in our nation, in our city, in our families. God, I pray that we would take, Lord, this truth from your word and continue to dive deeper next week. And God, begin to make our calling and election sure. Help us to understand that. Father, may we, Lord, desire that rich entrance. Not, not, not for pride's sake, but just because, Lord, we know that it will be, Lord, worth it. Now and then. And God, I pray finally, if there's anyone here today that does not know you in a personal relationship, that today would be the day they come to know you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if anyone needs to come, we'll have elders here standing up front, myself, and I'd like to ask Butch to join me because I know the other elders are not here this morning. So Butch and I will be here. If you need someone to pray with, we're here. We're here to pray with you. Let's all stand, shall we?